Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Swayze has over 20 years experience in education with previous experience including advanced skills teacher, lead, specialist leader in education, assistant head for teaching and learning and head of PE and achievement for the Youth Sports Trust. Will recently completed his Masters in Educational Leadership and is a senior lecturer in physical education at Birmingham City University whilst also contributing to PGC programmes at Loughborough Buckingham Universities. He's a proud partner of the PE Scholar website, which seeks to bridge the research practice gap and help physical education thrive. So welcome to the show, Will. Great to have you on. Thanks, guys. Great to uh, be back talking to you both again. Hey, Will. <clears throat> Brilliant. So our focus today, Will, is going to be about curriculum design. So tell us a bit about how the current context has changed, maybe your perspective about PE curriculum design and implementation. That's a big question to kick us off, isn't it? What happened to the intro <laughs> and let's just have a chat? Um, current context. So I guess, I mean, thankfully, I've been able to reach beyond the borders of England, but, you know, my teaching career has been in England. So the, the, the curriculum and, the, and the, the, the landscape that I know best is secondary PE and, and then, I guess, is wider education in, in England. And I think my one word for... The landscape is fragmented like there is some i don't like the word outstanding because it's associated with Ofsted, but there's some great there's some amazing there's some awe-inspiring stuff that goes on in you know wider school curricula so every subject and the way that they package and deliver stuff that's meaningful and relevant to kids and connect with their local context and the community they serve and the types of children that walk through their door uh and then in some cases, that filters into what the PE offer looks like and how that really has a like a personalised approach and matters to those kids rather than just being the thing that that PE teacher liked when they were at school. But then I guess we've got also got an awful lot of, not necessarily stuck in the past, but you know, lacking that innovation, that drive, that desire, that clarity of direction to go actually. P is not synonymous with with sport you know in great physical education we use sport as a vehicle to teach children and the and the job of school is teaching children first and subject second um so yeah i just think um what do i think the landscape's like it it's fragmented and there's no two schools are the same like i'm really privileged i like you just mentioned i, I hated the title of ast but I love the role. It gave me four days a week in the school I worked at and one day a week on the road. So since 2008, no, 2006, I've spent time in lots of different schools, talking to lots of different people and helping them reflect on their context and, and what perhaps their kids need more and how they can you know, co-construct a curriculum that works better for their kids. Um, 
And I guess now in that kind of teacher educator role, again, I'm really lucky. We were talking before we came on air. I'm probably in at least two different schools every week. And uh, whilst I'd like to still be doing some teaching in the school setting, instead, I'm the fly on the wall. I'm the person observing a trainee teacher, helping them unpick whether their lesson was meaningful, relevant, whether it connected with those kids. And they're obviously working within the restraints of what that school deems to be a suitable curriculum. And often that curriculum is designed by someone who loved either their youth sport experience or their school PE experience. And consequently, in a lot of cases, they go back and give the diet that worked for them. So we kind of, I think we do a really good job of, of delivering a curriculum suited to mini-me's. And we don't always do a great job of looking at that and going, is this well suited to all children and have children changed and what are their needs right now? And I guess that's why I got super at, well, I first of all got super worried when COVID and first lockdowns hit because it meant I, um, you know, my, my diary of speaking at different conferences, I was, I was self-employed at that point. So my diary of, of going to conferences and working with schools and examining for, for GCSEPE uh all dried up and I thought right that this is either a moment to worry a lot or a moment to kind of put myself out there and try to help what I would be worried about if I was a head of PE and I would have been worried about Joe Wicks being seen as the PE teacher and I'd have been worried about how do I prove to the rest of the school that my subject's more important than the others and how do I capitalize on the fact that Boris and the NHS are saying that physical activity every day and 30 minutes of it is more important than going to work like it felt like a massive opportunity but that came with that bit of the threat of you know when schools reopened well the changing rooms are a dangerous place and throwing a cricket ball at each other is a dangerous thing to do well it gave us that chance I guess to like rip up the plan rip up the curriculum and go so let's make something different and call it a temporary curriculum not a recovery curriculum and then figure out what of it actually landed better with our kids than the diet we gave them before. So I'm not sure that answers your question, but it's my, my first soapbox <laughs> moment. It, it gives us plenty of exit points. Um, take us right back to the, to the basics, Will. What, what is a curriculum and, and what does a good one look like? Um, so what is a curriculum? I guess it's your planned offer, isn't it? And I think we very, if I think about physical education, that is the 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 curriculum the timetabled uh opportunity for every child in every school to experience uh sport and physical activity and to hopefully fall in love with movement you know to learn in through and about movement um so i guess that the curriculum is yes that those timetabled opportunities and the you know having sat around that uh senior leadership table at a school trying to plan a curriculum that suits the students you know how much time do you give to different subjects we we actually at a previous school I worked at uh invented um an extra period well in fact no we stripped some of the other subjects out of the the curriculum to offer we called it life as a lesson because we wanted kids to be intrigued about what that lesson might be but we recognized that the students were struggling at the school because they didn't have the skills to do well in school and to do well in life. So we thought we'll strip out all the content of subjects so we can have some dedicated time to work on some of the skills that unlock their ability to, to cope with or to thrive in the content. 
so yeah so i guess often we think of what is the curriculum works that planned offer but it also and particularly from a PE teacher's perspective includes that enrichment the wider offer the how do we utilize before lunchtime and after school and residential trips and that so those kind of wider learning opportunities I still see that very much as part of the curriculum and then I guess be rude not to mention the hidden curriculum you know the, the stuff that goes on that perhaps isn't formally taught or or maybe um seen by some children and not others you know it's that sort of how how do we um step up to our duties i suppose to a certain extent to to challenge some of the stereotypes some of the thoughts some of the um wrongdoings that have perhaps gone before us that we can go uh, or, or how do we create a culture that really projects that kind of inclusive everyone matters kind of agenda so so yeah i guess in my mind that's that's what a curriculum is and the, and the job of the pe curriculum i think when i started teaching i got really i came from a sports science background so i think i'm a part of this problem i had great knowledge of sports science and physiology and a real passion for my undergrad degree very quickly took on leading examination PE courses great for the people that have that as their career pathway but I thought that was what my job was about trying to convert people onto that course and that pathway but I very strongly believe that that content's right for some kids but not for all so um, probably where I made the biggest difference in my teaching was when I started to recognize that my job uh was to try and get the best teachers in front of those that had had a previous negative experience of of PE or of sports because our job is to try and stimulate and get them engaged and wanting to learn more confident and motivated to want to do more uh and I certainly think you know I, I don't think I've ever really felt my job was about trying to prepare talent uh I think I've always been quite good at, at passing that on into the community as soon as I can but the challenge comes when you've got students that perhaps aren't very engaged across school or aren't behaving very well across school but they really shine in the PE space so being in that first 11 football team or, or first 15 rugby team gives them I guess identity and credibility at school that they're perhaps not getting in other subjects so there's a real challenge isn't there of you know where do you put your efforts where can you make the biggest difference so I think there's there's kind of three very contrasting areas of the exam pathway into careers in sport um the mass participation and how do we you know i think that's the most important job how can we light a fire under every child and really seek out the ones that it's not been lit for yet or that haven't found value and meaning in moving um and then that third strand of well if we do have some talented young people how can we help them see that the resilience they show on the football pitch to get better at that is is something that they can transfer to other parts of their life or the confidence they feel in this setting is something that can arm them and, and help them. So having that clear, I like those three parts you talked about, that exam and careers in sport sort of strand, along with those of lighting a fire under them and moving them, which I, I would agree with you is probably our bread and butter. You know, if, if we don't do that, what have we achieved as PE teachers? Um, and then the also the talent strand and that, you know, that 0.1% that do go and make it at that elite level that are inspired by their PE teacher or their football, rugby, hockey coach, whatever it is that they're playing. You've mentioned a couple of times and you talked through a really 
you, you, inter, you, you, you flicked between a couple of things around being in the first 11 in the football. You talked earlier a little bit about using sport as a vehicle within PE, but you also were quite adamant that, that sport isn't PE, if I've listened to you carefully. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, Will. Let me, I'm just scribbling that down. I'm going to come back to sport isn't PE in a minute in the same way that personal training isn't PE. You know, Joe Wicks did some great stuff, but it wasn't PE. Um, but just want to pick up on your bread and butter point. So my, my, possibly my biggest concern, and I hope we're moving beyond this now, and certainly having spoken to a few people that have had recent Ofsted inspections and deep dives in PE, they are looking at what you've described as the bread and butter, the every child thing. But I think for a long time, the accountability measures on PE departments have been, certainly from a secondary perspective, the um, percentage pass rates and, and the well, what was A's to C's and, and is now nines to fives or whatever. And the, the big thing that I challenge anyone listening to do, and I, and I definitely say in pretty much every interaction I have with schools, is add up how many students do an exam pathway in PE in your school. So it might be you've got two groups, 50 kids in a year group in year 10 and year 11, and you might have whatever in year 12 and year 13, you might offer a, a mix of GCSE and vocational courses and divide that by the total number of students in your school. And typically we end up at somewhere between five and 15% for lots of schools. Yet that's where they target all of their efforts because it's the thing that comes out with the number. It's the thing that they're challenged. You know, it, it features for a lot of people in their performance management target. So it, it influences pay progression so I think that one thing is a worry that our, our bread and butter the thing we signed up for and really wanted to to contribute towards often we're being steered away from that now moral compass is being challenged almost on a daily basis because the thing that gets measured is not the thing that matters most and then you know I do quite a lot of work with the independent schools through my Buckingham role and again, the pressure they're under by parents, but also the culture of the school to be beating the other teams at sport means that their bread and butter isn't the thing that it should be. So, so I think, yeah, we need to rethink our bread and butter, I think is the point I want to make on that. Um, sport, and it's not PE. So, so it doesn't help that, I don't know, neither of you were probably bothered enough to read but the government manifestos i had a look at back when i was with yst when they were looking at change of government and they genuinely used the the words of physical education and sport interchangeably in their documents like mm. i think to a number of people in positions of privilege and power don't see the difference and i don't think as a pe profession in england or internationally do a good enough job of really simply clarifying the difference and the fact that, you know, physical education is the, and, and I think, you know, there's plenty of quotes out there that I like in academia. There's plenty of people's, um, I guess, trying to live it, not laminate it. So trying to, to deliver that this, this P offer that's more than sport, that's different to sport. Um, you know, we could get into the coaches versus teachers debate as well, couldn't we? And actually, I see an awful lot of coaches who are awesome, who I would say are teaching to include Gary Southgate, who, you know, did some teaching of the country during the way he treated his team and what he looked for from 
the fans in support of his team. And, you know, you, you use the phrase a lot, they're developing better humans and using sport as a vehicle to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm yet, again, I, I often set this challenge. I was at Usport Trust uh, Conference on Thursday this week and I've got into the habit of doing a pub quiz at the beginning of any kind of conversation with lots of teachers. So I get them in pairs or threes. And question one is, if I'm working with teachers from England, what are the four aims of the PE national curriculum? It was written in 2013. It's our day job. It's what we're being paid to do. And I know the majority of people work in an academy now. So actually they don't have to follow the national curriculum, but it's kind of a minimum expectation. We're trying to deliver something above and beyond it. And you would not believe how few people are, are able to recall those four aims. Well, if you ask that to a maths teacher or an English teacher or someone in humanities, they'd absolutely know the answer. And their document is a lot more pages than our one and a half page PE document. So, so I think we've almost lost sight a little bit of well, what, what does it say on paper our job is? And then how much do we align with that as being the aim? Or do we want to create something more better and different? You know, similarly, I asked the question of, you know, define physical literacy, because it's a, a term that's banded around an awful lot. But even by some quite prominent people, uh, they're boiling it down to just fundamental movement skills. Mm. And actually, that's the third part of it. And the first and the second parts are around motivation and confidence. And the end bit, which is around valuing and taking responsibility for physical activity for life is equally important. So again, I'm really lucky. I spend a lot of time with Liz Durden Myers. She did her PhD under Margaret Whitehead and she helps correct me and has helped take me on a journey to understand that far better, which has helped me when I'm trying to stand in front of and connect with people and get us, I guess, as a PE fraternity, how can we better coordinate our voice of this is what we do you know and at a point that kids would understand or that sitting around at a table others would understand that isn't you know those that can't teach those that can't teach teach PE and and those that can't teach PE teach the teachers of PE like <laughs> that seems to be the social ladder doesn't it, <laughs> it it's interesting well, I, I, Lewis knows I love this book the the tyranny of words by Stuart yeah. Chase because it just boils everything back down to how you interpret words. And you've just reeled off a load of words there. Physical, edu physical education, physical literacy, sport, all mean completely different to every person that's had their lived experience of it. And, exactly. and should, we, should we therefore just simplify these things, get it out there, and then make sure that first and foremost, our students understand what these terms are, that our leaders understand what these terms are. And then we can come back to where PE, I know you love positive experience as being sort of a little catchphrase for PE. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that, Will? Um, yeah, I, I guess that's just an, an easy and memorable one, isn't it? And I think for me, the challenge around any document that any policy document that comes out and uh you know the the reason that page and a half of the dfe's 2013 document is hard to remember is because uh, all documents that come out of government are quite quite bland and quite 
type you know there's when we're teaching children to remember things we help them with acronyms and, and memorable ways and i think those um I had a really interesting conversation actually with um his name escapes me it'll come back to me in a minute um from ontario who was massively involved in policy document writing for the um health and PE curriculum in, in canada oh it's ted ted terminology no it wasn't ted um i have talked to ted but it wasn't um i'll remember it in a minute and that again i guess a bit like your book reminded me how you know even when policymakers put so much time and effort into trying to get the words right it's people's lived experience and their you know the way they choose to interpret those words that matters so you can get a great policy document that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get great practice off the back of it so that, you know the point i was making was our national curriculum in england is out of date but that's okay we shouldn't be um rushing to try and get a new national curriculum written so that we can follow something else as a document we've got we've got enough skill within the workplace and enough local knowledge i think to be able to work something up that's bigger and better than that so so yeah if i i i used to spend a bit of time thinking you know if i got stopped in the corridor and asked whether it was by a parent or a, an ofsted inspector or uh you know the uh secretary of state for for education or someone leading on PE what was my answer of of what's PE and the way I remember it is um ask why PE so you know we're about developing I think attitudes first skills second and knowledge third and that's a challenge in an education system that really values knowledge rich ambitious knowledge uh knowledge knowledge and, and more knowledge and different types of knowledge and don't get me wrong knowledge is important but I think we have a bigger part to play in driving attitudes and values and then in some of the skill-based aspects of, of our subject. So that's the ask bit. The why bit for me um, very much is around well-being, that holistic development, the physical, social, emotional strands, the cognitive aspects. The H is when I talk to teachers, the, the aim that they are most motivated by is the fourth one on the national curriculum so to lead healthy active lifestyles so for me the h of healthy active uh the why for me this is quite a well it's a personal one but i think it's a real one is uh, why for young people's life skills so i genuinely think um what necessarily p actually because not all of my p experience as a child was positive but certainly my sport experience as a child was it gave me confidence i wouldn't be on this today it gave me team working skills it gave me a desire to achieve to approach competition to so i think those um things opportunities those development points we should be giving to all children not just little wills ways so how can we you know give a diet give a shine a light on the development of those things and give just as much praise and reward for when people are demonstrating confidence or work ethic or teamwork or leadership as we do for accurate replication of a skill um and then yeah for me that the pe bit is uh it's got to be a positive experience and and i know that that's a challenge when when slt are coming down and doing their learning walk around pe and fun isn't on the tick list of what needs to be included in a lesson 
enjoyment uh, isn't on there either, but engagement typically is. <laughs> and we can't get students to engage until they're enjoying and they can see some personal relevance to what they're doing. Again, it goes back to some of the, you know, the seven meaningful PE aspects that I'm also a big, big believer in is we've got to step away from the things that are easy to see progress in, like the overhead clear or the set shot. Like, like great. If, if a group's motivated by that, then work on those things, but still make explicit that the other tools they're putting in their box whilst they're developing those things and then for the students that aren't motivated or aren't motivated yet by getting better at those things find the things that have currency for them it, it comes back to measuring what you value doesn't it and as you've talked about earlier we there's the performativity aspect of it we have to put a number down or a letter or a grade won't we just be better just getting rid of them all this is a aspect of of P, where does it need to be measured? I mean, but, what do you think about that? So let's remember in 2013, you know, the three big things that I remember from that curriculum change were, oh no, I've got to teach some meaningful dance. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure how confident I am or capable I am to do those things. So there's a challenge in itself. The second bit was you've got to deliver some OAA across all year groups. And I thought brilliant, because as you know, I love, I love the great outdoors. I love to engage people in wanting that but risk assessments to try and do that in a proper way are a bloody nightmare so a one-hour timetable orienteering and getting in order on a bench doesn't quite cut it for OAA in my opinion and then the third one was AWOL absent assessment without levels so since 2013 we've been in a world where we've gone that was ridiculous that we were telling children whether they were a five or not in PE and what does that even mean so we were given the freedom nearly 10 years ago in England, to not put a number to it. But because a number's put to it in every other subject, and typically it's the head of maths that's gone on to senior leadership that gets data that likes flight paths, they have the role <laughs> to go, we'll have a data system that works for all subjects. Um, so, so the challenge is we've got to find a way to fit in with the kids at the big table. Like PE's always sat at the child's table, hasn't it? Like we should be proud of that and stay there. But to try and get our seat at the adult table at dinner, we're trying to prove ourselves against other subjects and trying to be, um, I guess, more accountable, trying to find a measure for the things that we really value in our subject. And it's really hard to do that. And, and it's also not a flight path. Like, my confidence in, uh, in fact, I, I'm trying to return to squash at the moment, having had quite a bit of time off court due to COVID. And I'm hurting this morning because I played last night and I wasn't very confident in what I was doing on court and I wasn't very competent with it. But I'm motivated to get back into it and I know and understand what I do need to do to get there and I value it. So I'll keep working at it. Um, but yeah, so I think... How do you put a number on that? <laughs> Hang on, Will, did you win at squash? No. Oh, well, I did win on my... well, what's the point in playing then? <laughs> well, maybe that's my problem is I'm more bothered by the good game than the winning game. Or, or, maybe, maybe, or maybe that's why you're going back to it. Listen, <laughs> I, I want to sort of nudge us back towards where what we started to talk about a little earlier. You made some really interesting points from, from Alan's reference of uh, Stuart Chase's The Tyranny of Words, which is a, a super book. And he talks within that about reference points in your life that then... Um, help you to interpret words in certain ways. 
So having that reference point drives the interpretation. I suppose where I want to go with this is with the reference points everybody's got that are so very, very unique across physical activity, across physical literacy, across PE, across sport, they're all interpreted in different ways through people's experiences. We've already established that there is a central document for PE, but because of the context of schools, whether that's to win fixtures or whether that's to create elite athletes or whether that's to make sure that we've got fantastic exam results, everybody's context chain, uh, everybody's context is slightly different. So we've got a subject that's driven by semantics of, 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 and a group of words that people don't understand. We've got a central point that is different for every single school, and we haven't got a way to measure it. So how do we even start to create a curriculum that's a planned offer that's, that we know is excellent? <laughs> that's brilliant, Lewis. <laughs> and, and that, we're on the back foot, aren't we? Like, yeah, we're on the back foot. And, and, and you know what? You're in a, a really unique position. And as you've said, very privileged in many respects that you get to see this in so many different contexts. Alan and I are very, very privileged in the terms of we speak to people that, that they deliver this in different contexts and we, we won't have seen the amount of context that you've seen. But try and give us some ideas of, of, of where we can start. What, what can we do that is under our control that will allow us to actually create a planned offer for our subject that is going to allow students to develop, maybe across those three areas you managed, uh, you managed to mention earlier, that exam pathway with careers in sport, that idea of lighting a fire and making sure we do our bread and butter well. And then that idea of, you know, where you do get that top 1% supporting them to be the talents that we know they can be. We, we, we're trying to be a lot of things to a lot of people. What, what can we do to even start bringing this together? It's that whole KISS framework, isn't it? We've got to keep it simple, stupid. And <laughs> before I ask, answer that, I just want to rewind to Alan's question about assessment should we even do it and i just want to put out a health warning of yes because if every other subject is putting a grade in a box and it's going home if we don't we're showing parents students and school leaders that us that no learning takes place in our subject so just just a little health warning if you if you're thinking off the back of this oh maybe we shouldn't assess, like no one likes summative assessment <laughs> no one likes filling out the spreadsheets uh, and actually, it's not the bit, if you listen to Dylan William, that, that makes the biggest difference. It's the, the formative stuff. You know, for me, the most powerful way to assess is to set three learning objectives in a lesson. I do it through the ask. So an attitude, a skill and a knowledge. Lee is looking at the, you know, no show grow with Becky. Um, but I like the idea of if you're not using bibs for the lesson or if maybe you get some of those rubber sashes Maybe the red objective is always the attitudinal one. The blue one is always the skill-based one. And the green one is always the knowledge-based one. And the job of students in that lesson is to get as many different coloured bibs or sashes as they can through the lesson. And the job of them during the unit of work and during the term and during the year is to collect different coloured sashes or, or bibs and I think what we'll find is the same students keep collecting the same colour bib. Um, and consequently, we need to help them understand that's their strength, but their challenge if they really want to, you know, our, our job, our success marker is, you know, Lewis, your, 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 your PE teacher's success measure is the fact that you're doing the job you're doing now. Or, and in fact, it's not about the job you're doing. It's about are you active every day? Are you still enjoying participation or watching 
So I think, uh, you know, we're never going to be able to get outcome measures of what did they do 10 years after leaving school. Um, but I think the problem with the message possibly boils down to head teachers see the title physical education. They have an emotive response to that based on their lived experience. Um, and they also see the title of physical education as the title of our GCSE course. Yet what we're trying to achieve in core PE is not the same as what would lead to great success in GCSE PE. That's so I think... Is that, sorry to interrupt you, is that because actually what we call GCSE PE, and I'm very mindful I'm, I'm speaking to somebody who's written textbooks on this, isn't actually PE. It's, no. it's sports science and sport. Yeah, so if if I could have been in post in YST four years earlier or somehow got the right people with a voice around a table to influence DfE when the new assessments came out, I would have lobbied really hard for, call it sports science, and, and ideally, you know what, I'm happy with it being 100% theory and going in the options against physics chemistry and biology and leave it there that that's a thing that can serve as a pathway into but what nobody's done yet is made a qualification for what really is PE uh, and I'm not I'm not sure whether we want that qualification you know if you talk to English leaders they probably feel like their subject's been stifled by the fact that it has an exit certificate and that at primary for SATs and at secondary for, for GCSEs, maybe we're lucky that our subject doesn't have an exit certificate for all. But it doesn't have an exit certificate, but we're, we're creating one, or schools are creating one, in terms of the, the pressure and the power they're putting through examination PE and the assessment that they're putting in that, like you said, is important, but not necessarily done in the right way through Key Stage 3. So we have a subject where we have the creativity and the opportunity to be really creative with how we do things yet we're narrowing our own parameters are we by actually saying well we need a way of measuring it we're desperate for a way of measuring it and the only way of measuring it is to create an exit point which is examination PE, which isn't PE, it's sports science and then to create an assessment criteria for key stage three which we don't actually need but needs to fit in line with the rest of the school so again we we, we sort of we sort of make our own, yeah we're making our own issues but it's coming back to this point that if we want to create and design curriculums in a subject, we have to know what that subject is. And I think we've spent a little bit of time already really establishing that that's very different depending on what the, the, the head teacher in charge, as you've alluded to, it's very different depending on what the school measures. Um, and the three pathways that you mentioned earlier, I'll come back to again, which I think are a really nice way of sort of illustrating this is you do have those people that you want to motivate by going down an exam route because they want careers in sport. You do have those people, as we've said, which is our bread and butter of we want people to move, to move well, to be well, to, 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 to be in a position where they want to be moving for the rest of their life. And then we also have a, a situation where we want to develop the best talent as well. So how do we start to pull this together? And what, what's our starting point for trying to create a, a planned offer that, that does involve you know, probably two two out of those three things, if it's going to be any good, right? And, and those pathways are a bit of a solution, I think. And again, we then transfer that into the realities in every school, which is 
facilities and timetables seem to drive the offer what what teachers do we, you know how many teachers so again i i i see everything from uh independent schools with a class of eight to twelve maybe a bit more uh for their pe mornings uh and and, and more for their their games afternoons again that's another conversation uh through to some schools with with 35 in their groups for PE and lots of schools that can't get away from that idea of setting for PE because they think that then they can create an offer that's better suited. And so, yeah, again, I'm a a big believer in student voice does help drive change in schools and it has to get driven within that local context environment. Like we can't hold our breath and wait for the next national curriculum because I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Um, but maybe that's a good thing because we can work on something that works in our setting, but that requires that time and vision from PE leads, but also that chance to connect with other people and build confidence in that they're moving in, in the right direction, in a good direction. But yeah, I think the sooner we can get students grouped by motivation and need and build an offer that suits them and excites them. I talk quite a bit, you know, I mentioned that currency analogy earlier and I kind of think you know sometimes I think when I first talked about this we were in the middle of the euros so I kind of said oh well the euros are about you know um winning about competition and the the dollars maybe that's about the American dream about making a career out of this thing and the the for me the the diamond and the gold stuff is the stuff that you know it's a currency that doesn't fluctuate so much with the stock exchange so it's you know that's the healthy active lifestyle the enjoying being active stuff and then i feel like we've probably got cryptocurrency at the moment this this idea of developing better people the values the concepts stuff through pa and i think at different points in our lives those different currencies mean more to us than others and we've got to try and you know whether you're teaching that class of 8 to 15 or that class of over 30 if there's more people in that room with you at the same time that have got similar needs and motivations, you really can build an offer that suits what they need. But it's time consuming and it's tiring. So, so, so it's something that, again, I think if there ever was a silver lining to COVID, it gave people a chance to step back from and go, I know we all work really hard and we work ridiculous hours and we offer an awful lot, but are we offering it where it's needed most? And are we just doing things, you know, what, what can we start to do differently? Um, why, why, I, why should we put that time in, Will, to start looking at why we do differently? Why don't we have a curriculum that just is a curriculum and that's the curriculum and that's what we follow? Well, as in, why don't we have a, a, a stip, you know, a, a, a new national curriculum? Yeah, so let's consider something such as, um, and, and I'm not uh, particularly knowledgeable in the in the specifics but you look at things such as maths and english and and maths and english have um set curriculums with schemes of work that are very clear with a scope and sequence of the skills that the children are going to learn and 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 it's quite well versed it's understood and you can transfer from one school to another and there's some sort of fluency there PE, we don't have that so why is it important that we do those hard yards that you've talked about why is it important that we do keep developing and we do keep looking at what our curriculum is and, and it is it doesn't just stick where it is and that's what we follow so 
So even in your English example, if you think of phonics as a key learning element in primary schools, there are different franchises that are offering the way to learn phonics. Mm. And if you go to one school, you might be on one franchise, which might be a really expensive offer. And then you decide to move, you know, the parent gets a job somewhere else and they move school and the kid goes into another school. The way they learn phonics in a different school can be entirely different and incredibly confusing to a young person. Mm. So I don't, I don't actually think this challenge is unique to PE. I think there is a challenge in other subjects. Like I, I know schools that... I say with multi-academy trusts and the, the growth of that that are trying to almost stipulate across schools well we'll all follow OCR's GCSE PE course and again so that they think helps fix that standardizing of offer and the the sharing of resource between schools but the local context is so different that that spec and the teacher expertise in that spec doesn't suit other settings and like we've said earlier that course isn't what core PE is about so, so I, I, I'll i be honest with you I spend an awful lot of time trying to help the profession with how they critique the situation and where their levers and opportunities are within their school and I've stopped trying to worry about trying to get the perfect curriculum written at a headline level it, you know, I'm, I'm quite close to what's going on uh, in Wales with the new curriculum coming in there and that's got a big push on health and well-being across the school Liz would be able to talk in more detail with you about the underlying thinking behind that but I'm actually quite interested to see that I think far more 21st century curriculum come to fruition in schools because if that can be delivered with consistency across different schools and with uh, you know a higher regard for the, the more well-rounded the more holistic the more i guess needed skills in people then maybe it is time for us to write a new curriculum but i'm not convinced that the that mandated change you know the document the policy helps make it happen so i think it's the people that make it happen so does this start with the people and with starting to look at uh, actually where you're at and i know you've mentioned you've thrown a few things out do there need to be some measures and some auditing and some reflection before you even start this process? You, you know, you talked about facilities, timetable, setting, student voice. There might be just some of those things. Does there need to be that reflection and that opportunity to, to gather data, to gather opinion before you even start to develop curriculum? Definitely. And, and I guess, you know, I know you're not intentionally, but that's how I've structured the, the PE curriculum design course that exists is around that idea of a, a 12 steps to um, really getting under the skin of and upskilling the person to be able to do the thinking for themselves. You know, I'm not a believer in write a scheme of work and uh, a, 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 a really well-written scheme of work can be kept on the shelf and, and be brought out and done with all lessons. So if, if that's how we believe that it's, you know, we need to train hard and train well as teachers to be critically reflective and able to respond to what's in front of us. If that's what we believe and I do, then we can't give them the thing on the shelf that they can use. We've just, we've got to help them. And, and, and module one is all about understanding your context. <laughs> tell, tell us a bit about those 12 steps, Will. Who does that start with? Who's that person that, that takes that first step in, in creating this opportunity? Uh, so from, from the course perspective, it's aimed at 
subject leaders for PE. And I guess I see it as the stuff I wish I'd learned during my teacher training, or maybe it's the stuff that I should have done on a, uh, you know, a middle leader development course in that aspiring towards a head of PE post or a primary subject leader post. But those jobs, sorry, those courses are typically generic across the school and it's preparing for middle leadership about leading and managing people. And, and lots of that stuff is important, but this was more trying to get under the skin of our subject. Um, so yeah, so the first bit is very much that auditing of um, your local context by talking to your stakeholders, you know, your staff, your parents, your senior leaders to see what their belief systems are and what culture currently exists and that they want for and where your united desire is. I do a lot of kind of theory of change thinking, you know, blue sky, what, what, where are we aiming at? But a reality check, where are we right now? And what are the one or two meaningful things we can do this year that will move us better in, in that direction? So there's the, like you said, and, and capturing all of that insight. And, you know, I, I was involved in a building schools for the future program and designed a really exciting school that then never got built because the funding got cut so you know we've got to work within the restraints of the school haven't we I, I work with quite a lot of inner city Birmingham schools where the facilities are appalling my trainees go in there and they're like how the how on earth am I going to be able to teach effectively in this environment and I'm like well that's great isn't it because th 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 some exciting stuff can be learned and developed when you've not got a lot you know some of my work internationally the space and the equipment that they have is not great but it doesn't mean that the offer is not great sometimes so um so yeah so that's where it starts and then i guess in today's language of um of ofsted and, and curriculum intent but i i guess i call that purpose or, or i call it ambition of our subject really trying to get a um a joined up understanding of what that is and then finding a way to communicate it that resonates with our kids so i use the ask why pe kind of um acronym earlier but trying to help school and and i think this stuff's so much more powerful if it's created by your staff and that's why i think we touched earlier on you know how often does a curriculum need to change my, my first piece of advice is I not so much put draft on it, but put version 2.0, like that the, there is the desire for continued feedback to continue to change this, or maybe it should be version 2022, because you are absolutely clear in the knowledge that there will be a version 2023. Um, and yeah, whilst some of that overarching um, mission statement, vision, why language that that you that hopefully will stand the test of time it's the the things that you do beneath that that will change depending on the kids that are coming through your door uh what they need what they're motivated by so that's i guess what gets it then into the the learner journey bit and trying to make those meaningful pathways that go how do we get them on the right in the right lane or in the lane that suits them but if they're moving along in that lane through the year groups and they're hitting different milestones for the things that they're developing you know physically cognitive socially from an effective domain perspective, how are we making sure they're all still moving in a similar direction? So if someone wanted to change lanes from the GCSE pathway, the sports science pathway to the, the participation or from the participation to, you know what? Since I've been at this secondary school, I've suddenly picked up lots more hours of physical activity and realized that I'm not rubbish at this. I just didn't have much exposure before. 
I, I don't know if you've come across. You read Tim Wigmore and Mark Williams's The Best book? Not yet, no. The... Even, even Alan's not read it, Will. You've got one there. Oh, oh, yeah, I've got it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <I've done> <laughs> Just looking um, for it. On my, it's on my Kindle. Uh, Very good. That was kind of the, in my mind, the follow-on from David Epstein's range and the whole, yeah. you know, developer around us. But the stats that stood out for me in that were this whole point of, you know, seventy-five percent of age group representatives are born within the first quarter of the year, and then once you get to the seniors, it seventy-five percent were born in the last quarter of the year. So actually, we've got to help children understand that. Uh, again, if you're going to use Matthew Matthew Said's simplification of the ten thousand hours deliberate practice. Uh, and again, there's lots of criticism on that, but I genuinely think I want to help children understand how many hours of, of play before how many hours of deliberate practice have you had before you walk through my door? Because that's the thing that is yeah. dictating your competence level right now, not genes or, <laughs> um, you know, or, or, or talent in the bloodstream or, or you know, it's a bit like the whole multiple intelligence or even just intelligence as a, you know, it's not a, as a kid, I thought I wasn't very intelligent because my older sister seemed to get those genes, which she didn't. I just hadn't found the thing that I was motivated to be good at yet and probably, probably still haven't, but I found things that I'm passionate <laughs> not, about. Not, not squashed by the sound of it. <laughs> no, you're dead right there. <laughs> so I, I, you're talking very much, aren't you, Will, about prior learning, prior experience, and, and having an understanding of where the children are arriving at when they come through your door. How yeah. much of an advantage do through schools have with that? Schools that do have a primary and a senior school within the same school? A, a massive one. So, um, again, if we, you know, there's no point in just ripping, ripping up the uh, national curriculum or the education curriculum. We want to rip up the education system, don't we? And if we were, I think, like we were discussing before we came on air, that idea of whether they're on the same site or not, but the, the primary feeder schools that are really well connected with their secondary school and that uh, someone has oversight of what goes on on that, that journey from first turned up at the door to, um, you know, leaving and going, whether that's onto university or out into the workplace or, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a massive advantage to that all through setting. And in fact, I guess we're seeing more free schools that are starting to look at that here and I think that's a really positive thing um yeah yeah can I can I come back Will to that expression you used about currency and you use the term hidden curriculum and I'd like to think it should be front and center curriculum not hidden curriculum they're life skills aren't they they're essential skills I've seen it somewhere that they're actually employability skills and I think yeah. It has been taken for granted that oh that we just do that through osmosis. It just happens in PE, and and it's just taken for granted. Now, you talk there about teachers learning to be critically reflective. Now, where do you even learn that kind of terminology to be critically reflective? Should we be bringing reflection in to our curriculum? Should we be bringing in collaboration, communication, courage, resilience, relationships? So where I'm heading here is. Is a concept-based PE curriculum the way forward? And I know you've done a lot of work on this and there's been a lot of debate recently about it. Yeah, so I, 
from a hidden perspective, hidden curriculum perspective, I think it's also important to note the what we don't say, but is evident in our practice. So I, I'm pushing quite hard at the moment on you know the gendered curriculum, for example. Or and I think for a long time we've known to be careful about our language. And now the pressure, rightly so, is on it, it's all you know going that step further. I, I guess Sri would talk about the, the anti-racist. Uh, in all of us but that that trying to I'm not just going to challenge isms I'm going to be an absolute ally to pushing that so, so I think from a hidden curriculum perspective we've got quite a long way to go in terms of showing that sport sport and physical activity and all of them are for all and it's and we don't have this binary thing we've got an awful long way to go on that but on the the aspect of hidden curriculum around around life skills I guess my my experience of this has come from I don't, I don't know you guys will remember do you remember personalized learning and thinking skills that were in the previous iteration of the curriculum so my role as an ast back in 2006 was to try and spread good practice around uh personalized learning and thinking skills between different schools in nottinghamshire and i was like well, i can't do that job unless i believe in them so i looked at ways to integrate I called them the secret skills because the S was for uh, was effective participants and creative. Like there, there were these six areas, and I guess so. I started to play around with what that looked like in my P lessons and how I raised the profile of those secret skills happening in PE. And what that's where I think I first started tapping into this idea of currency because I found some of the students that I'd found hard to reach connected and were motivated by some of those things because it had currency and relevance to them so for me the concept curriculum it and yeah the the debate will stay open for a long time as to whether you know transfer of skills uh is as simple as we'd like it to be you know i learned to be resilient in football so i can be resilient in maths and you know what life will never get me down like i think <laughs> we realize that that's far too simple but um, if we don't raise the profile of and explicitly talk about and program these things in to be development points of our subject, there'll be the things that are always caught by a few lucky people like the three of us. And because they are not taught, they are not caught by everybody. And I think we owe them to all children. Um, and, and even if, you know what, my, my empathy is not great. But even if uh, awareness of my competence in these different concepts can be achieved, then that's a valuable thing. And you know what? That's not about giving it a score from one to nine of my resilience that's normative reference across the whole country. It's me self-assessing my empathy versus my leadership versus my creativity to know where are my superpowers yeah. and where's my nemesis. And, and therefore, how do I play to my strengths and how do I find people around me that can help me and, and hold me to task on and be a part of my team, fill in those, those gaps? So, so I think concept curriculum is, is the future. And I know in the international set, setting, you've been doing it for a long time uh, and um, it works. And for me, it's been working with my classes. Okay, I, I've not taught 
five days a week since 2016. But uh, I went back to a day a week uh, at the school that I'm an SLE at um, three, three years ago. Enjoyed the day a week, but I felt like a glorified cover teacher. But I guess what I'm sharing with trainee teachers week in, week out, and then going in and seeing them trying to apply with their classes helps me see that there's definitely something in there in terms of lighting a fire in some students that if you're trying to develop a sporting skill, they switch off. Like We're not far away from moving into the summer term, are we, in athletics? And athletics is that one that seems to be taught one discipline per week on a rotation and the children are turning up and they love or hate it by the word that you say at the beginning of of long jump (laughs) over sand or long jump oh yes I can leap um and yeah so it's the how do we um give something else as well something more than uh and that doesn't mean you don't do long jump it just means that you create a bit of a frame of reference or you value some other stuff that's done in that space and that and that lens that you put on it is so important and and i've done this myself where i'll have a group that i am taking through some concept-based stuff i've done it more than once and i'll throw in just just in the middle of a unit i'll throw in a really sport specific skill session and you see the enthusiasm of the kids that are good at sport maintains or gets higher and for those three or four kids great for every every other child in that class you can see their body language everything about them just retreats into themselves just by focusing on just to throw out an example you might focus on positioning and rotations and service in volleyball very sport specific why that has a place in the curriculum i'm not sure um but it's very sport specific those same children that do that, that were the week before focusing on creating their own challenge level of whether they catch or hit, um, deciding on how they communicate with one another to be able to be effective in getting the ball back over the net. The difference in those children that aren't the best at digging, setting, spiking is just phenomenal to see. And I encourage, yeah. I encourage teachers to try that and to do it. Yeah, well, and, exactly. And, and you know what? You don't have to rewrite your whole curriculum to give it a go you just have concept month you go right what what do we feel like a lot of our children have a deficit either in demonstrating or in understanding and valuing i'm not going to use the word resilient because it seems to be the word that every school wants to try and fix at the moment but whatever that thing is go what whoever you're teaching whatever you're doing have a go at talking more about this thing um and yeah. see if it connects with people. And if it does, then think, so how are we best doing this? Is it uh, we'll now have a different concept, maybe connected with the school values if you've got them and, and we'll rotate them around? Or is it about, um, you know, aligning them with the different activities that you're well suited to develop them in? I think there's a bit of a risk to that. Or is it about empowering your staff to go, well, which of these concepts do your students struggle with the most? And therefore they need a, a term's worth of time or a year's worth of time or a key stage worth of time that they're really focused on to try and graduate from resilient school or uh, empathy school or communication skill. I think you're right, Will. I mean, look, I just, can I just bring in what you used earlier, Lewis, where 
Will used a really good phrase, and I, I love this, is that living it, not laminating it. And we hear a I lot of... No, so you've magpied it, haven't you? You've magpied that one, Will. But yeah, it, if you if you got school values and a mission and vision, or you've got certain values in your PE department, how do the children know what they are unless you are explicitly teaching it through a concept in your curriculum? It doesn't happen, as I said earlier, it doesn't happen through osmosis. And I think that's where like the inter international middle years program or the middle years program of the the International Baccalaureate, they're ahead of the game. They've been doing this for years. Yeah. They know that this is important. And I'm just wondering, how does that, how do we get the UK with their 2013 curriculum that mentions nothing about them sort of strands? How does that sort of pull together and how could we learn from the international schools? It says the word character and it says... Uh, Define character. Uh, That's a good one. <laughs> um, so, I I think one of the other challenges, so I think in, and it's hard to talk about the UK, because actually the curriculum in England is very different to the one that's being worked up in Wales, which is different to the one in Scotland and what happens in Ireland. So I think actually in academia, we talk about UK perspectives, but, but there isn't a united UK perspective. So, so let me just talk about England briefly. Um, I think um, there's some momentum at the moment behind this idea of an extended school day and a desire for, for lots of reasons for school to be that, that place in the community for more wraparound care. Now, unfortunately, the pushback to that is a feeling by teachers of expectation to work more hours to supervise more children for a longer period and still have all that marking all that planning all that whatever to do beyond those hours going back to our conversation about an all through school being a good thing and you know that starting from scratch and building a school which you know some free schools are getting right when you sign your contract as a teacher you sign up to uh, be a form tutor and, and I think you should be signing up to offer an enrichment thing. Because <laughs> it's the first thing that we drop, isn't it, when we get busy, is the, um, you know, the, the science teacher coming down and helping with my rugby or football team. It's the first thing they drop, you know, it's the nice to do, is the helping with the, the growth of children. You know? and, and I just think if we built that into the contract somewhere, and it's not so much about the contract, it's about the culture of the school, whereby... The teachers that are there have as you know are able to give time to investing little people, not just delivering their subject. Um, but it has to be fair because otherwise you have what I see an awful lot of, which is P departments on their knees because they've got a relatively small team, some of whom have, because of the life skills that we developed, become heads of year, senior leaders. And their attention starts to turn to the thing that, um, you know, the readmittance meetings and the, you know, it, I found that really hard uh, in my post of how do I have that perspective? And I think it is really important to, um, you know, walk in the shoes of a senior leader to see that broader perspective of what is going on around a school and, you know, from a safeguarding to uh, uh, other subjects perspective. 
while still maintaining that integrity that goes, you know what, we, we, if everyone is given the autonomy and takes responsibility for really doing their job well, we don't need to do so much of the accountability and all of the stuff that nobody likes. Um, so yeah, so I, I quite like the idea of could you know establishing a new school with a fresh start that really drives a culture for um, that teachers as providing lots of meaningful experiences, not just uh, one hour segments of different subjects that are collected together on a thing called a timetable. It's <laughs> a good point. Right, let's uh, let's wind it down with some fun now. Will you've probably heard this before on our on our podcast? Three leaders you'd love to have evening meal with and have a good chat with, dead or alive. So, will uh, so I actually quite enjoyed dinner with my nephews because uh, it's fun and it takes my brain away from. So I'm not sure I'd go with uh, leaders. <laughs> if I was to go the leaders thing and to follow the patch on this, I also think. I wouldn't want to sit down for dinner with them. Like I, I like get, I like adventure and excitement. So I think I would probably, you know, a league of their own and the daft challenges that they do on that or Top Gear. I'd want to take those couple of leaders to really get under the skin of them in an environment that enables them to be human. It's like Bear uh, did with uh, Obama, didn't he? Bear Grylls yeah. went on a walk with him. That was superb. Yeah, well, there you go then, because that's how you get them out of their comfort zone, but also a different environment. You get to see the real person. So if that's what I was able to do with them rather than a meal, uh, I think we're all fans of Simon Sinek, aren't we? I definitely get the the man on a boat or in a car or whatever the thing is that we're going to do. Um, from a political perspective, I think probably Jacinda Ardern, like how she's able to do the work-life balance and the, you know, from a distance seems to have made lots of uh, good decisions uh and being human about it um and then my my brother-in-law's uh south african so i spent quite a bit of time uh in in south africa and love uh love rugby so i think probably probably uh khaleesi um and what he's doing around you know um from the townships to to captain in the, the south african rugby team and and what you can do with that. So probably those three to answer your question. Or, 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 to, or to not answer your question, to answer your own, <laughs> which, 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 which brings me to my next question. And, and I'm, not going to, I'm not going to ask a question as such. I'm going to offer the opportunity for you to ask a question. If you were on your boat ride, you walk or whatever it was to those three people, what would be a question that you'd like to ask them? For me, it's that, how do we make the world a better place? Uh, that's a huge question, which is why it's a good job we're going on a long adventure. <laughs> but yeah, what, and try and get them to nail down what, what one thing will make the world a better place. Um, yeah, that's what motivates me to keep getting up in the morning, I think. Good man. Last one then, Will. If you were to um, hire a billboard at the side of a busy motorway, what would you write on it for the world to see? <laughs> Adults and children. (laughs) (laughs) I think probably that, you know, to do well, you've got to be well. Uh, I'm a big believer in if we we don't look after ourselves and each other's well-being. And and my big thing to teachers at the moment is if, if you can't 
look after your own and remember to switch off and take care of yourself you're going to be in no place to look after other people and, and in the place of children you know unless you look after yourself you won't do well at school so that kind of maslow before bloom thing top man well really enjoyed um the conversation today thanks a lot for all your insights and your opinion um if people want to uh, to, to read a little bit more about you about the work for you scholar do about your views and opinions on things is there a place they should visit website twitter handle etc god help them this is probably enough <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you, you, you said it all, uh, PE Scholar. So uh, we try to put a piece of insight. We're, we're inviting, as you two have, guests to push some blogs out. We, we don't just want, nobody wants my too much of my opinion or, or Liz's opinion, but we want to you know, provide a voice and a space for lots of people to talk, but also try to provide you know, courses, resources, materials, things that... that I'm not even going to use the word upskill, but things that arm the profession to be better custodians of it. Like I really like that all black thing of, you know, you know, leave the shirt in a better place than you picked it up. And I think we need to leave PE in a better place than than we picked it up. And this sounds like there's a lot of work to be done on that. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Pat. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Cheers, gents. Have a great day. Take it easy. Bye bye. for listening to Sensemakers brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami the number one ego kit provider for school and worldwide you can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com and if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners you can find us on your favourite podcast platform including Spotify and Apple Podcasts until next time we'll see you